And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a fantastic week. Uh, great show today. Great show today. I was joined by my friend Jim Garrity from National Review. It's always a great time talking to Jim. Uh, we covered uh, a lot of ground. We, we talked some coronavirus news. We talked about uh, hypocrisy in the press. Constant theme on the show. Obviously, we talked about Deshaun Jackson, the Eagles wide receiver, uh, quoting Adolf Hitler on his Instagram. A lot of, cra- a lot of crazy a lot of crazy in the news today. So, and we try to cover all of it. Uh, I, I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. Um, yeah, before I get to Jim, I need to say hi to our sponsors over at the Aetherverse. Uh, guys, the Aetherverse is a brand new libertarian-leaning sci-fi novel that I think you guys are really going to like. It's right. It's written by two outstanding young libertarian authors, Joey DeUrso and Eugene Bryan. Um, the story is more relevant than ever. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't mean that in a good way, <laughs> but the story is more relevant than ever. Uh, it makes politics and social satire exciting and fun, mixing ideological debates with stuff like space battles and action and a ton of violence and stuff like that. It has something for everyone, political intrigue, war stories, romance, humor. It appeals to conservatives and libertarians alike, or basically anybody who's a free thinker, anybody who's against big government and supports free speech. I think we'll really like this book. Um, best of all, it's fiercely anti-social justice warrior and pulls no punches. And guys, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how the left has, has won the culture war. They kind of have, have a stranglehold on the culture, on the arts, uh, and we conservatives don't really do anything about it. So it's time for us to put our money where our mouth is, support uh, conservative and libertarian artists like Joey and Eugene. Uh, I, I think you guys uh, will definitely like the book. It's definitely the right thing to do to support these guys. Check them out over at theaetherverse.com. That is theaetherverse.com, and you can order the book right now on Barnes & Noble or Amazon, and I will include the links in the show notes. Guys, if you haven't already, p- please uh, follow us on Twitter. Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere else where you get your podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. All right. Without further ado, here's my chat with the great Jim Garrity. All right, guys, we're here with Jim Garrity from National Review. Jim, my friend, how you doing? Brady, very good to be back with you. I noticed uh, on Skype here a minute ago, the last time we did a podcast together was March 9th. <laughs> so we were we were Jeez, living in a, an entirely yeah. different country at that point. I, I feel like a I lot has changed since decades. March 9th. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the I, I remember the last day of normalcy being March 12th because it's my, it's my wife's birthday. Right. And it was the last day the kids were in school. It was the night. I think it was. I think it was the day after the NBA canceled the season. Trump had his primetime address, and Tom Hanks announced he had. You, know, you could just see over the course of an evening, the country changing, and everybody having this vibe of, oh wow, this this virus is real. We really got to worry about this. We we, you know, and uh, yeah. I mean, now that it's you know we're in July, it just feels like a, almost a lifetime away. Yeah, man. And if anybody really wants to dunk on me and you um they can just go listen to that podcast on march 9th i'm sure we were uh, uh we're probably far too nonchalant about the impending uh pandemic than than we are now but let's uh let's start 
today, Jim, in the world of sports, um, the Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson posted on his Instagram on Monday a rash of wildly anti-Semitic propaganda, praising Louis Farrakhan, even posting a quote attributed to Adolf Hitler. Um, yes, that Adolf Hitler. Um, uh, not, not the other guy, uh, the, the real Adolf Hitler. Um, essentially saying that Hitler was right about the Jews. So um, some really, really wicked stuff. Uh, he, he's essentially facing no punishment. Um, the Eagles' statement was weak. I'm paraphrasing. It was essentially along the lines of, hey, we talked to him. Uh, he's not going to mention Hitler anymore. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> and uh, Jackson's apology <laughs> he's been was... given a, yeah, <laughs> a stern talking to that Hitler is bad. You know. Yeah, that that Hitler was not was not the good guy in in World War Two, um, and, and Jackson's apology was terrible as well. And we'll, we'll get to the double standards, the hypocrisy, in just a second, because that's the real story here. But uh, before we get to that, I, there has been a disturbing number of of celebrities, primarily black celebrities, um, from Ice Cube, now Deshaun Jackson, P Diddy, even Kevin Durant, um, posting uh, anti-Semitic stuff on the internet lately, usually centered around their support for Louis Farrakhan. I guess I guess it's just I, I suppose I didn't know how pervasive this was on the left. Yeah, and I think it's, I don't think there's any dispute. This is, you know, amongst African Americans on the left. Right. Way, way back in ancient history. I'm going to say fall of 1993 um, for a, a freshman year journalism, maybe a sophomore year, maybe 1994, but some sometime in the early to mid 90s, I went to a meeting of the Nation of Islam. And the Lyndon LaRouche organization, Lyndon LaRouche organization are kind of crazy conspiracy theorists who think that the Queen of England is involved in the drug trade and, and all kinds of stuff. And the way I described it at the time was it was unnerving. I wasn't the only white person there, but I was, you know, uh, certainly a small minority. And it was a meeting of white anti-Semites and black anti-Semites coming together in harmony and, uh, and all of that. Uh, creepy and disturbing, but I remember going there. And, and just knowing from the very beginning, that, okay, these people are not only um, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but that they really believe horrific things. They do believe in these evil conspiracies. They very much had this us against them. And, you know, if they're not outright war, you know, you, they very much take this very hostile. There, there is no vision of reconciliation or harmony that these folks can embrace. Um, and I think anybody. Anybody who takes a look at, at, at uh, Louis Farrakhan sees things said about the Jews uh, that are, you know, that, that would get you uh, tossed out of, of polite society, tossed out of uh, any of this kind of stuff. But there's kind of been this, if not blind spot, I think white progressive elites kind of avert their eyes from this because they don't want to get into this fight with their African-American political uh, 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 progressive allies. There's kind of a sense of, oh, well, you know. You know, the, the, this you know, the, the, he speaks for a lot of people who feel marginalized and oppressed and, and you know all this kind of stuff. They they hand wave it and they give gentle tisk tisks because really confronting it and really making support for Louis Farrakhan akin morally akin to support for David Duke uh, or or any type of other you know indisputable undeniable full on hate mongering um, figure of intolerance. Well, that would cause a lot of really uncomfortable confrontations on the left left amongst its own ranks. So I, I think what we've seen here was a, a, you know, there's always been this hesitation amongst folks on the left to really get into this uh, and to really, uh, you know, pull, call out something as unacceptable. And the, you know, it, it's catching up to them because not only you think, you know, oh my God, Louis Farrakhan back, it was a million man march was back in the nineties. Who still follows him? Well, he still has a following. 
and Twitter gave him that verified account, and he, he didn't change his message. He didn't soften or anything like that. But there are corners of the black community who see him as someone who stood up for them when no one else would, and therefore they're always going to cut him some slack. They're always going to accept it. And the thing is, is then you end up with the Deshaun Jackson type who listens to this and buys into the message and starts believing these crazy kooky conspiracy theories about uh, the Jews running things and stuff like that. So this is, uh, you know, it is one of those things where it would be nice to think that somebody like Ice Cube could look into this and say, hey, well, wait a second, wait a second. I've had a very successful career. I have interacted with Jewish people. I know, you know, Jewish people are like everybody else. They come good, bad and different in between. And you can't demonize an entire group of people as the cause of all of life's problems. But he hasn't. And, you know, it, on the one hand, I'm disappointed, Brady. But on the other hand, I also recognize society, celebrities live in like this bubble right. of unreality. And so there's kind of a fair question of whether anybody who's been famous for a really long time and wealthy and kind of immune from the pressures of life. Uh, could possibly really give, you know, how, how astute we should find their assessment of how the world works. Right, right. No, that, that's absolutely right. And this morning I was flipping back and forth uh, between ESPN and uh, Fox Sports 1. Um, just to, you know, I wasn't expecting to see anything, um, but uh, just to see if they would mention this, right? They did not. <laughs> they did not. Uh, they Nobody in sports media has, uh, outside of, you know, like the Clay Travis types, of course, uh, have, has even mentioned this. Um, three weeks ago, Shannon Sharp, the, the Hall of Fame tight end from the Broncos and the, the evil Baltimore Ravens, um, and now he's, he hosts a show on Fox Sports 1, three weeks ago it said that Drew Brees should be fired and driven out of the NFL forever for saying that the national anthem is good. Okay? Quiet as a church mouse today, Jim. <laughs> Quiet yeah. as a church mouse about Deshaun Jackson quoting Adolf Hitler. Okay, like, Drew Brees, I like the national anthem. He should be banned for life from the NFL. Deshaun Jackson... Likes him some Adolf Hitler, si- complete and utter silence. I mean, it's come on, come on, yeah. guys. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's kind of it, what makes that particularly intriguing is that we've seen eh, probably over the last decade, maybe going back 20 years, this rise of sports talk media that was always there was always an element of courting controversy of you know, uh, Donnie on the Donnie from. Queens on the car phone. You're on WFAN. What do you think? Should the Mets fire their manager? You know, that kind of right, right, right. trying to stir things up. And racial controversies are as good for stirring and getting the phone lines to light up as anything else. Um, and I think that's only accelerated. I think ESPN was a big element of this. I think Fox, as, as cable sports channels started to proliferate and they had this need for content, they needed cheap content, getting a bunch of guys around a desk to yell at each other uh, was a cheap and easy way to, to generate audience attention. And I got to tell you, Brady, probably, you know, no figure has made me yell at my radio that they are, that per speaker is wrong more than Colin Cowherd. Give me Eleanor Clift, give me Marcos Melitzas, give me any lefty in the world. Colin Cowherd will jump on my last nerve and dance a river dance uh, within 30 seconds of of whatever he's, you know, fuming about in any given moment. Um, So on the one hand, it's particularly interesting that a sports media a world that has this voracious appetite for uh, controversy can suddenly find them saying, well, well, we don't want to talk about that. That's that's too that's too much of a hot topic. We're you know, we're going to stay away from that, particularly at a time when there's nothing else going on in the sports world because uh, no games are being played and such. I, you know, when you're talking about there, I was trying to think about there's this argument when, when, when sports figures get political 
a bunch of us say, you know, I just want to watch the game. I, I don't want to be reminded of all this. Particularly, I deal with politics, you know, Monday through Friday. On weekends, I just want to watch the game. I want to escape from the world. I don't want to care about what the uh, the starting pitcher thinks of our trade deficit or what the, <laughs> you know, free safety thinks of uh, the tax rates or, or, you know, just just let me watch the game and be disappointed with the Jets. It's w- the way I've lived my whole life. And... You are know, the Jets going to have a free? Are, are the Jets going to have a free safety this year? I've heard uh, that's uh, that's incredible. Uh, yeah, as well. yeah, I, well, that, look, I yeah, got to keep. <laughs> it would be very typical of the Jets to finally draft a genuine All Pro who's the best at his position, and then manage to frustrate him so much that he demands a trade and leaves town. Um, <laughs> that would be that would be the way we do things. So, but if people say, "Oh no, sports has always been political," look back to Muhammad Ali. It's true. There have been players and figures in the sports world who have been out spoken about politics, but I think you can safely say they were fair. They, they stood out. They were unique. That's one of the things that made Muhammad Ali who he was, because not everybody else was willing to take those stances. Right. And not everybody was very, almost nobody else was willing to pay the price for those kinds of stances. Um, the idea, and there was also an observation that like, you know, maybe people going to accuse me of being arrogant on this. Look, these are guys who had spent their lives dedicated to the field of athletics. Some of them were very bright. Some of them were not. Um, right. And I think one of my favorite examples of this and a guy who you know to the extent by the way to the extent you saw athletes and retired athletes getting involved in politics it very often was republican politics the right jack kemp steve largent jc watts you know i think one of my favorite examples of what ha- of, of what happened when athletes started stepping into bigger societal issues the late reggie white who was a defensive end with the philadelphia eagles and the green bay packers was also a minister right. minister of defense and he gave this speech i think it was in Wisconsin. And he meant the message he was trying to go for was, we are all children of God. We're all created in God's image and we should love everyone. And he did it. And he thought about like four or five different ethnic groups. And he managed to pick the most cliched stereotype about each one of them in a way (laughs) that's really, I think one of them was like, you know, Asians, there are people, Asians who can turn a radio into a television. It's so good with technology. Yeah. And it was just, you know, and the funny thing is you could tell he meant well. He, he yes. clearly wanted to, the best possible message told in just about the worst possible way. <laughs> and I kind of, you know, at the time, I wasn't going to jump all over Reggie White. One, because he could squash me. But two, but also like, he, you know, that, that he's a jock, right? That, you know, that this was not yes. a guy who had spent his life trying to figure out the most uh, sensitive way to say things. This was a guy who, you know, the, the words came out wrong. He meant well, and he, you know, ended up kind of uh, endorsing certain stereotypes that that various groups had found bothersome. And you know, we kind of could we could kind of grade them on a curve, right? We were not looking to professional athletes to be our great thinkers and wisest philosophers and leaders and all these sorts of issues. Well, now quite a few athletes do want to be that. Um, I was kind of struck when we watched that uh, that ESPN uh, uh, documentary series, The Last Dance, where, you know, Michael Jordan's comment, Republicans buy sneakers, too, was really treated as if as arguably the worst thing uh, that that Michael Jordan had ever done. Right. And it just the it, it, you know, like there was now this, you know, how dare he believe that he shouldn't be involved in social causes and political causes and things like that? How dare he think that uh, the Republicans? That it was, you know, that there was some value in not offending people who rooted for him, but who might have different political beliefs than him. 
I mean, if you watch The Last Dance and you think that's the worst thing Michael Jordan's ever done, yeah, then... exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> but here, the thing is, this morning when I was I was thinking through what I want to talk about on the podcast, I it just seemed the Deshaun Jackson situation just seemed like a joke. You know what I mean? Like it seemed like something that you and I would say in a bar. Yeah. Like after what if after you Hitler, how would you feel about that? Yeah, yeah it's like we're, we're complaining about hypocrisy on the left. And after one too many beers, one of us is like, man, a leftist could literally quote Hitler and the press would look the other way. And then the other guy would be like, hey, 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 okay. hey Brady, come on. All right. They're bad, but they're not that bad. They would it's never like... do that. Not the media we know. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's like Trump's uh, Fifth Avenue comment from the campaign. I yeah. could literally kill a man on Fifth Avenue. I, I think the reality to that is a leftist could literally do anything on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> and no matter how bad it is, even invoking Hitler... Uh, mm. the press will still look. There. I mean, it's like if well, you teleport me back a year, I would say that this was a joke. You know what I mean? That, yeah. that there's no they they would have to draw the line at Adolf Hitler. Apparently not. But let's also observe though that if Deshaun Jackson were just some practice squad guy, <laughs> oh, he'd be gone. Be, yeah, yeah, he'd be gone. The Eagles would not be so eager to ah, oh, we will give him a, a stern talking to, but we believe that there's you know a path ahead on this. He'd be gone. No, it wouldn't be worth it. Of course. Um, if you know. You know, and if Deshaun Jackson wasn't Deshaun Jackson, you know, Drew Brees got what I struck I, you and I would think would be you know, extremely unfair criticism. But I noticed the Saints aren't cutting them. Nope. No. Nope. Right. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's, so there, there is an element of that. Uh, look, we will we will overlook a great deal. But as my understanding is, is that at the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremonies, I think they're not going to have the actual ceremony this year, but um, the NFL. uh that, that, that there's a standing invitation to uh, uh, to O.J. Simpson yes, because yep. he's a Hall of Fame member to attend yep. if he wishes. Mm-hmm. And I just would be like, you know, well, that's, uh, um, you know, I, I suppose that you could say the league never got, uh, never figured out how to, ne- could never just say no to his slashing style. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the NFL, Ray Rice, right? But the NFL has had a really tough time figuring out what activities are really worthy of punishment and how much punishment? Yeah, uh, and and all, all that. So, yeah, I mean the the you know if you look at Adrian Peterson, I mean the the you know smoking a joint uh, gets about the same punishment as beating your two year old child. So I mean yeah. the the NFL hasn't yeah. been a, a banner of consistency here. But look through all this madness, I really think that the left and the press are going to start losing control of the institutions they control. I mean, I, I think that the, obviously they spent decades establishing complete control over the institutions, the press, academia, almost every aspect of the culture, which is partially the fault of conservatives. Like we conservatives have failed as well. We have not really stood athwart history yelling, stop. We've stood athwart history saying, eh, please slow down a little bit. You're making me a little uncomfortable. All right. So it's like, you know, we, you know, we deserve some blame there too. But like, for instance, the entire Black Lives Matter movement is contingent on the American public not visiting BlackLivesMatter.com. Because if you actually go to their official website and read their manifesto, you can no longer support Black Lives Matter. And you saw this actually on, we can praise sports media for just a second here. You saw this on Fox Sports 1 last week with Marcellus Wiley, um, the host of, I think it's like their 3 or 4 p.m. show, uh, whatever it's called. I'm not sure. Um, But he he said, you know, I don't don't support Black Lives Matter. It's wrong that uh, the NBA is painting Black Lives Matter on the court. He's like, read what they say. They want to abolish capitalism. They want to get rid of the nuclear family. (laughs) Because, Because in true, you know, communist, you know, Standards, they, they want children raised by in a communal situation or something like that. I mean, they're mm-hmm. radical, evil 
Marxists. I mean, they are a radical, evil communist organization. So, like, I just don't know how much longer the press can keep the public from visiting BlackLivesMatter.com, right? And then you see a couple days ago on CNN, Don Lemon saying the quiet part out loud and in an interview with uh, Terry Crews. Well, it wasn't much of an interview. It was more of him just talking over Terry Crews' mm. guest. Uh, when he said, you know, I mean, Black Lives Matter doesn't mean all Black Lives Matter. Oops. <laughs> You're, not supposed, you're not supposed to say that on live television. So it's like, I, I just don't know. The dam will break, Jim. Like, it has to break. People have to see through the BS. I, I, I think there's a lot of Democrat voting African-American Eagles fans they're going to look at this Deshaun Jackson situation and be like, wait, what? He's qu- <laughs> he's quoting Hitler? He's quoting Louis Farrakhan and he wasn't punished at all? Like, I, I don't I, I think the left is going to start losing control sooner yeah. than later. What do you think? Well, and there's, there's a lot to unpack there. My first thought is my favorite development in the woke movement in the past couple of weeks has to be that when the NBA approved social justice messages for its jerseys, none of which, of course, were like, you know, free the Uyghurs. Uh, or free, yeah, free Hong, Hong Kong, Kong or anything Kong. like right, that. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, group economics, you know, so that's generic enough to not really be clear about what, whether that means socialism, whether that means higher tax rates and redistribution, you know. But I'm just hoping that LeBron James wears that one. I'm just oh, hoping goodness. that one of the highest paid players in the NBA wears group economics on the back of his jersey to demonstrate <laughs> how important how important's the idea of leveling the playing field for everyone is while making, you know, hundred, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year, you know, cumulatively hundred millions. Um, yeah, there, look, there've been a lot of bad trends, I would argue in American journalism over the last couple of years. And I think they really accelerated this year, most notably, um, and look, you know, the, 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 you know, Trump is a bad factor. I think the reaction to Trump is a, a worsening factor. Um, and I think a particularly good example of this is like, you know, we've got this, you know, this, this pandemic comes along and people are scared. People do not know what this is supposed to be. We were joking at the beginning of this podcast about like, you know, January and February. It's like, ha, God, you know, there's weird stuff going on in China. My like, God, these guys, they're freaking out. It's kind of, <laughs> boy, it's weird. And then by mid-March, it's like, holy crap, our lives have to come to a halt uh, or else people are going to die. You know, and we've seen, you know, at this point, I think it's something in the neighborhood of 130,000 Americans killed. Right. Um, there was never a time, there was never a bigger time where people needed information they could trust. And this was over a new virus where scientists and medical researchers and doctors are still figuring out how this virus works, what is safe and what is not safe, um, how contagious it is and under what kind of circumstance. Like, you know, this, this was the, the call to action. This was, you know, the time for American media to step it up. And there have been some very good examples. Uh, um, and there have been, but I think there were a lot of examples of really lousy journalism. And I think it was driven by this appetite for a narrative, this appetite for something to fit some preconceived notion of how things are supposed to be. Yeah, good example. Red states are run by Republican governors who are foolish and reckless. And blue states are run by Democratic governors who are wise and, and you know, cautious. And that's how we end up with Mario Cuomo getting praised for all, you know, handling the virus, even though he sent sick patients into nursing homes and probably got a lot, a whole bunch of people killed. Phil Murphy right. in New Jersey, very similar. You know, you could, we all have our favorite examples of this. Hydrochloroquine, this drug that the president seemed to glom onto early on and seemed to really like. Um, almost all of the coverage of hydrochloroquine was in the context of what Trump had said about it and very 
various people saying, no, it doesn't work. And no good heavens, you know, Trump is telling people to eat fish tank cleaner and, and, and all that stuff. It, was, it entirely, the story turned into Trump, what do you think of him, binary, et cetera. It's dangerous. One of, yeah, one of the pieces of journalism I'm most proud of during this whole thing is that I decided to go into the medical journals and say, all right, so what does hydrochloroquine actually do? And once you understand what, what it does, you can understand it could be very useful in the cases of some people, and it could be very not useful in the cases of other patients. Uh, the short version is, is that hydrochloroquine uh, suppresses your immune system. And you might be thinking, wait a second, if, if your body's fighting off this virus, why would you want your body to suppress its immune system? Well, when certain patients, uh, by the time I wrote this, it was like 10, 15%, could be more, could be less. Your body gets infected and then your immune system kicks into higher gear. And it kicks into such a high gear that your immune system starts attacking healthy cells. This is why they prescribe hydrochloroquine for lupus. This is why they do it for various other conditions. If your immune system is too active, it can actually start to harm your body because it interferes with the processes the body's supposed to do. Certain patients, about this 10 to 15%, get the coronavirus and their body goes into something called a cytokine. Basically, just picture your body flooding everything it can find and not distinguishing between the coronavirus and healthy cells. And this is what can cause people to die. So right. in these circumstances, hydrochloroquine could be exactly what you need. It could be very effective. In other circumstances, it's it's not. And the thing is, it's, got, you know, it's very tough to tell unless you've got a doctor monitoring the condition, monitoring the, the how it's being administered, how much is going into the system, and trying to, trying, to, trying to calibrate it to just the right level to get your immune system working just the way it should be. This is something every American needed to know at the beginning of the discussion about hydrochloroquine. Not at, yes. not at the end. I shouldn't have had to go out and find that, find that kind of stuff, but I had to do it because NBC News and all these other places just wanted to do it into orange man bad. Don't take this stuff. It could kill you. I mean, the lack of intellectual— Sorry, guys, I, get curi- off my I mean, the, the fact that these, these people aren't intellectually curious enough to— I mean, I, I mean, no offense, Jim, but like the New York Times, the Washington Post, they have a lot more resources than the National Review does. And they have a lot more journalists than the National Review does. Why didn't they look into this in February? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the lack of intellectual curiosity is just astounding. And I think, look, we're, I saw a, there was a piece this morning in the New York Post that, that experts are coming out and saying that they predict that uh, Americans will be wearing masks for three to five years. Excuse me? If that's the angle that the press is going to take, they're going to lose control too because Why? Unless you believe that there's never going to be a vaccine, which, of course, is possible. It took us, I think, six years to develop a uh, uh, a vaccine for SARS, I think. Or no, no, uh, Ebola, yeah. sorry. Re- Ebola, rather. Yeah. It took six years to develop a vaccine for Ebola. So it is possible that either we don't get a vaccine or it takes a very long time. But most experts are actually predicting that we're going to get one in the next you know, eight to 12 months, uh, maybe as, as little as six months. I mean, I, I don't know. But that's what that's those are the reports I've been reading, right? Yeah. But there there so, isn't anybody. There's not a lot of experts that are predicting that it's going to take longer than a year to come up with a vaccine. So it's like unless you're just trying, like why like why the heck would if you, if you go get vaccinated, throw your dumb mask away? I, mean, I don't know why would you continue wearing a mask for five years if it isn't just a game to these people on the left? And I saw another headline yesterday um, from Bloomberg, and this is just I mean literally hang this headline in a museum because it is just art. Okay. <laughs> Quote, a lower COVID-19 death rate is nothing to celebrate. Un- unquote. Okay. I don't know, Jim. I'm a simple, <laughs> I'm a simple man. I am a simple man over here in Toledo, Ohio. I don't know much about anything, 
But a lower COVID-19 death rate is absolutely something to celebrate. My goodness, like, what is wrong with these people? They're losing control. People are going to tune them out. People are going to stop listening to these clowns. How can you write that with a straight face? It, my goodness, they are losing their grasp on the monopolies that they've created over the past several decades, and it's fascinating to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dear Bloomberg, come on. Come on. It's got to be at least a little something to celebrate. <laughs> I mean, unless, unless you own stock in funeral parlors. The, the, yes. The, this is really good news. You know. Yeah. Like, did um, the devil write this? I mean, like, what like, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I imagine I, I didn't get a chance to read that. No, I, I imagine their point might be that, you know, the, the virus cannot kill you and still give you, you know, either, uh, you know, what feels like the worst flu, you, flu you've ever had or lingering health problems. And I think that's some, you know, genuinely scary stuff we have to keep an eye on. Right. Um, but yeah, and, and by the way, your point about uh, the vaccine and the masks, um, I luck would have it, have it at today's newsletter, the second half of it was about kind of checking in on the development of the vaccine. Um, and Brady, for some reason, some people think that I am way too pessimistic about these things, things and that I uh, am the purveyor of panic porn and, and things like that. Um, I will spare you the furious diatribe denouncing them because uh, I, I take criticisms so well. <laughs> um, but I'll say that on, the, on the, the, the sense of a vaccine, I'm fairly optimistic. This many people working, this, these many bright minds yes. making this many efforts around the world, we're going to get a vaccine. You know, I guarantee it'll be a record. Now, and part of it is because the record developing a vaccine from isolating the virus to getting it to administer to people is four years with the mumps. It's going to come with four or four years. I think yes. we will have something that's kind of a workable prototype towards the end of this year. Uh, if not the beginning of next year, and we'll probably start seeing it distributed sometime in 2021. Yeah, I hopefully the early side never... of 2021, not the later side. I do think we need to figure out a way to function with the virus around, including things like yes. opening schools, you know, between now and then. But uh, we're I'm fairly optimistic on that point. Um, but uh, you know, like in the meantime, we, we've got to live, figure out a way to live with this virus and to try to manage as much of our functioning society as possible. And you know, maybe some things like movie. Th- theaters aren't going to be you know, able to reopen anytime soon. Maybe cruise lines are, are going to come through this on the other end very different. But you said the uh, the anecdote about people still wearing masks three to four years down the road. Um, I don't suppose during this long pandemic with all of our uh, time on our hands, you've had a chance to watch the old um, AMC series counterpart? I have not. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to give you a really short recommendation and a really short summary. The idea is you know, there's a secret uh, doorway to a parallel world that the, the government knows about. This other parallel world is just like our own up until like the late 1980s, and then it started to diverge. In this other world, they had a pandemic that was really, really bad. It has now been cured. They have a vaccine. But it's been several years, and you can still see how much it has shaped the people. And I, I, I very much think that um, hopefully, like I said, this is done in our past sometime in our rearview mirror sometime next year. But I think the psychological effects of this are going to be with us for quite some time, much like the Great Recession, much like 9-11. Um, although I don't know, I don't know whether people will still be walking around wearing masks out of habit or precaution come 2025 or something like, like that. Right, right. And you, you mentioned this briefly, but I just want to reiterate, I, I don't think in the history of modern medicine, we've had the entire global mm. medical community focused on a singular goal like this. Like we've yeah. never had, we've never had all of Europe, all of North America, Israel, Japan. I mean, everybody working together towards a vaccine. We've we've never seen something like that in the history of humanity. I don't, I don't think. I mean, you know, aside from mm-hmm. 
Yeah. War, this this is our Independence Day moment, right? You know, yes, the whole yes. world has been scared, and now we need our, our president, Bill Pullman, to come along and say, we will not go <laughs> quietly into the night. Except in that one, the virus was the weapon on our side. Right, right. And uh, so one more point before I let you go, Jim. And I don't even have a point here. Um, it just has to be, I just have to mention it. Uh, news broke uh, yesterday evening that uh, the Chief Justice of the United States, John Roberts, was hospitalized last month with a head injury. I, I don't even have a point. I'm just saying, <laughs> look, he's. <laughs> there's been some very questionable decisions yeah. from the Chief Justice that have uh, really pissed off guys like uh, you and I. And, uh, look, a traumatic brain injury t- isn't necessarily unbelievable. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it makes sense, uh, uh, Brady, that a conversation began by talking about sports. Clearly, the Supreme Court needs to institute a concussion protocol. Absolutely. Um, you're going to want to check uh, the justices for concussions or any traumatic brain injury before they start writing their uh, opinions. Um, everything I learned in life, I learned from sitcoms. And I know that if you get bumped on the head, you have a sudden personality change and do everything the opposite until you get bumped on the head a second time. So uh, anybody near the chief justice, just give them a good knock. No, I'm just kidding. Please do not attack the chief justice. But I do what's kind of interesting is that this was, I think it was broken in the Washington Post today. This happened a while ago. The chief justice required stitches. Pretty suggests to me, or is it every time Ruth Bader Ginsburg gets the sniffles, we get breaking news. The cable news networks break, you know, and everybody kind of leans up in their seats. How's she feeling? Okay, she's gonna make it. All right, all right. And we have radio. John Roberts can literally go to the hospital, and nobody notices. Nobody knows about it. And notices until uh, weeks <laughs> later. Kind of an interesting uh, contrast there. It's. I remember. I'm sure you remember this, Jim. It was like maybe three or four years ago. But there was uh, definitely unethical for this information to leak, obviously, doctor-patient confidentiality. But there was there was a, a leaker out of D.C. Who, that worked at a, a pharmacy, and it, it leaked to the press. I, f- I forget who broke it. I forget who broke the story. But it was like a list of all the drugs that uh, were prescribed to members of Congress um, <laughs> that were being the prescriptions were being filled at, at this pharmacy. And like a lot of the drugs was like cancer drugs and and you know like all, all these all these different drugs. And then. Uh, some of the drugs on the list were, were Alzheimer's medication. It's like, well, okay, whoa, 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 Alzheimer's. Wait, okay, I get the other, you know, the the physical conditions that these pe- these aging, you know, people would would have, but Alzheimer, really, the people writing our laws have Alzheimer's, and the same thing with with with, with Justice Roberts. It's like, okay, he was hop- hospitalized. Oh, that sucks. You know, say a prayer. Hope he's okay. With a head injury. Head injury. Hey, man, come on. Like they. These people, the only thing they need is their brains, okay? If they're taking Alzheimer drugs and, and getting hospitalized with brain injuries, I feel like that should be bigger news. You know, um, I'm reminded of Oregon Congressman David Wu, uh, who was, was you know, a Democrat. Uh, people probably remember the odd picture of him in the tiger suit. And, you know, so there was, it was, you know, he had had some strange behavior for quite some time. Um and apparently this was, uh, uh, he, you know, that, that, you know, people had noticed odd behavior. He gave weird, there was an allegation of uh, sexual harassment. Staffers said they kept getting these crazy messages from his email. Um, and the emails all featured him in the, the picture in the tiger suit and his stop staffers quit right after he was reelected in 20, 20, uh, 2010. Now, the thing that in my mind is that almost all of those staffers knew Wu had more than a screw loose and was losing his mind and did not feel any obligation to inform the public that the incumbent congressman was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, which I thought was a very revealing statement about the culture of our politics 
and this notion that you you all you know, much like the Secret Service, always protecting the principal. Um, you know, you jump on that grenade, you you take that bullet for your the lawmaker who's, who who runs the office, even if he's nuts, and even if you probably know he's going to have to resign right after he's elected because you you couldn't possibly have somebody in the other party in that seat. No, 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 that would be much worse. It's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, it's like a. I mean, both political parties do it, but it's like the political parties forget that there are literally hundreds of millions of very intelligent, competent people in this country. (laughs) It's okay. Yes, it's okay to lose some of these people. Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't have to be just batting down the hatches any with every single member of your particular party. It makes no sense. To lose the seat, look that district, you're going to win it back next cycle, right? I mean, just yeah. So, very revealing. Absolutely. So, Jim, before I let you go, where can everybody follow you? Where can everybody subscribe to The Morning Jolt, which is the best morning uh, newsletter in the business? Where can everybody check out your podcast or podcasts, I should say? And uh, where can everybody order your new book, uh, Between Two Scorpions, or relatively new book, I should say? Yeah. So uh, where do we go? So nationalreview.com, nationalreview.com forward slash newsletters. That's where to subscribe to The Morning Jolt. I think if you type in Morning Jolt newsletter uh, into Google, that'll take you straight straight there. Uh, right for National Review, right in addition to the morning newsletter, right to the quarterly articles for the website. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Jim Garrity. Uh, I do a daily podcast called The Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus, about 20 minutes each day, just running through the hot top deadlines, top, top deadlines, top headlines of the day. Although, yes, we do have a deadline for it. Um, and uh, once in a while, what I can, Mickey White and I get together to talk about, about pop culture. We do that one, TJAMS, The Jim and Mickey Show. Just search TJAMS on SoundCloud or wherever you're listening to your podcast. Finally, yes, Between Two Scorpions, my, Scorpions, my thriller written last year about a menace that comes along and divides Americans and makes them paranoid and suspicious of each other. No way. Fiction, <laughs> then, um, is available on Amazon, Kindle, and, and all that kind of stuff. And yes, the sequel, The Rough Draft, is now done. I'm hoping to get it uh, uh, up to publication as soon as possible so when i have more when i have more on that uh, front brady you'll be hearing from me very quickly absolutely I, I i can count on that everybody follow jim and do all of those things that he just suggested that you do <laughs> i echo all of them uh, that's all i got for today i'm brady leonard i'll be back on monday no gimmicks um.